When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Penn Holderness. And you have stumbled upon the Holderness Family Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to bring you our interview with Michael Easter. If you are a listener to this podcast, you've heard us name drop him a lot and that we were both obsessed with his book, The Comfort Crisis. He has a new book out and we're going to talk all about that. But first, we have to do the like business housekeeping, part. if housekeeping. you will. Yeah, uh, we are trying something new. I mean, today could be a start of a book club, if you will. Sure. But we are going to have a book club episode in two weeks on November 7th with Nikki Ehrlich. She's the author of The Measure and she's going to join us to discuss that book. I've read it. Penn has not. So here's the thing. Bear with me. It's not that I'm being lazy because I'm actually interested in this book, but I, I think I'm going to not read it so that I can <laughs> represent the like the person who's in the corner of book club who's just showing up for the wine yeah. and just kind of BSs her way through the entire evening it. because there is one of those in every book oh, club, right? Most, I remember showing up to my first book club meeting and I was the only one who had read the book. Did like, they admit it or were they like... Oh, nobody was like, oh, I, I didn't know we were actually doing that. So anyway, <laughs> if you have questions for Nikki or discussion prompts for a book episode or even have suggestions about our next book go email them to podcast at the holderness and we will also link that email in the show notes so let's talk about michael easter great guy we're about to bring him on but i think before we do kim and i want to give you guys just a sort of a, a gist not quite a full synopsis but a gist of not only the book that he has just put out called Scarcity Brain, but also the first book that led to us trying to learn how to kite surf, mm -hmm. which is called The Comfort Crisis. Michael Easter is a best-selling author of the books The Comfort Crisis and his new book, Scarcity Brain, Fix Your Craving Mindset and Rewire Your Habits to Thrive with Enough. Easter has dedicated his life to researching and writing about what leads humans to live healthier, happier, and remarkable lives. In his book, The Comfort Crisis, because we are going to be referencing this uh -huh. later on in the podcast, so I just want to explain what it's about if you haven't read it. It sort of explains that embracing discomfort and reframing your mindset and 
kind of rewiring your bad habits leads to some pretty cool stuff. And those thoughts have been implemented by professional sports teams, elite military units, Fortune 500 companies. And they've changed how top institutions view topics ranging from physical and mental health to improving performance in business, sports, and even warfare. Uh, We are going to get into the comfort crisis more at the end of this podcast, but we do mention the term misogi. Again, if you've listened to this podcast, we've talked about it, but if you haven't, just to explain, because we kind of jump into it, the rules of misogi. Number one, the rule is to make it really hard. Number two, don't die. So it's something- It's a yearly trek that he does, right? It's it's once a a year. Once a year, it's- it's something that you you are encouraged to pick something that's pretty out of your comfort zone, not just physically, but mentally. So if you run 20 miles on a weekend, running a marathon is not a misogi. If you run a 10K and you try to run a marathon, yeah, that's there, there's a good misogi. Penn and I chose this year to le- try to learn how to kite surf. We ate a lot of water. It was really hard. Yeah. I don't know if we could call it a success, but it was both mentally and physically challenging. So we're like checking the box yeah. on that. And his thing was, it's it's a good idea to look for something that has a 50-50 chance of success. Right. If okay. you can find something like So that. you're primed there for the yeah. discussion at the end of the podcast. Right. So let's talk about Scarcity Brain, which is his newer book, where he, he really starts by just asking a bunch of questions. This is how Michael works. And he goes into all of these places to ask these questions. And so he, he wanted to know why scrolling on your phone for just five minutes turned into countless hours. He wanted to know why you might eat simply because you're bored. And also, like, with social media and TikTok, why it's easier than ever to become almost like a squirrel saving for winter, like wanting more and more and more. So Michael Easter wrote Scarcity Brain. And his thesis is the problem is a scarcity mindset. And that mindset was left over from like ancient ancestors. And he does this a lot in his book. He he takes us back to sort of, I I guess, cavemen almost in the Mm -hmm. way that our brain works, because they had to constantly seek and consume to survive because vital survival tools like food and material goods and information and even power were scarce and they were really hard to find. But so fast forward now, we can easily fulfill all of those ancient desires for more. And because of that, that hardwired scarcity brain that we've had since we were cavemen is now backfiring. And it's leading to these repeat behaviors that are fun in the short term, but they hurt us in the long run. So we're going to talk to him about identifying those things and really you and I, what we personally are dealing with and what resonates with us because he talks about a lot of stuff. And then he's going to talk to us about how to get out of it. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Hey, we're really thrilled to have you. We're obviously, as we said before, we love your books. I, I want to know, like you have taken us on all of these journeys to self-discovery and self-improvement that make us all want to be better people. But I would love to go back, you know, 10 years, however long it takes to, to meet the Michael Easter before he started this journey. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Well, I, I mean, I grew up in Utah and left when I was 18. So I went to college on the East Coast and then ended up working in magazines, which, you know, I had always been a book and magazine junkie but didn't think that that was a way that you could make a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But I took a, a writing class in college, and it was just like, this is what I want to do with my life. So I worked in magazines, and eventually, once you get to a certain place in magazines, you stop writing as much. They start having you edit. They start you know, asking you questions like, would you please figure out how to save journalism, mm-hmm. print journalism in the moment? And that, that was not what I wanted to do. So I ended up taking a job as a professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, 
And the upside of that is that half my job is the teaching, but the other half is continuing to write. And yeah, once I, once I started doing that, I don't know, I had just written enough articles and felt like there was a book idea there with the comfort crisis. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I went for it and it, it worked out. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, mostly I would love to know just, you touched on it a bit in the comfort crisis, but you definitely had different habits and a different sort of lifestyle as well and an outlook on life, didn't you? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So in the comfort crisis, I write about how I got sober about nine years ago. And that was really the, I think, impetus that made me realize, you know, if you want to improve your life, you often have to do things that are challenging and uncomfortable. But by going through short-term discomfort, your life often improves afterwards. And that was 100% the story of getting sober. I mean, that's the hardest thing I've ever done by far. Mm -hmm. And so that realization paired with the fact that I was working at Men's Health Magazine, which literally everything that magazine covers if you want to get the sort of the benefit at the end you're going to have to go through short-term discomfort whether it's you know exercise and improving your health whether it's losing weight you're probably going to have to be hungry at some point uh even improving your mental health you have to have tough conversations with yourself and others and so to me really the the sort of story of improvement in modern life is being willing to sort of embrace short-term discomfort and do things that maybe aren't fun in the short term, but you get a long-term benefit. Your new book, we're talking about the scarcity brain. Could you explain, just set it up for folks that haven't had the chance to read it, what is the scarcity loop and why we need to be aware of it? Yeah, so I, I, I probably the easiest way to explain it is that it's the sort of serial killer of moderation. <laughs> so it's this, it's this three-part behavior loop uh, that I discovered by going into this casino in Las Vegas that is used entirely for human research, like beha human behavior research. And yeah, it, it just it, it's something that leads us to repeat behaviors that hurt us in the long run. They sounded like really nice people in that lab. But I, were you not just terrified? Were you like feeling a bit like a lab rat when you heard about all those things? You know, it's one of those things where like, you kind of know, like, how do they know all this stuff? But actually going in there, I don't, I don't know if I was terrified because something that I write about in the comfort or in scarcity brain is that all these behaviors we overdo for most people, they're fine. Mm -hmm. Right. So most people can gamble and they gamble $40. And they, you know, they move on with their life and they're fine, but there's always going to be a subset of the population that overdoes certain behaviors and it really messes them up. For example, me with alcohol, right? So it's one of those things. It's like, how do we balance the fact that we live in a world where we do have access to things that can be really engaging in the short term, but can hurt us in the long run? But, and you write about this too, the scarcity loop and the scarcity brain, it helped us evolve. I mean, we need it. We needed it, right? Like we, we continue to need it in, in terms of, you know, exploring, finding, you know, safe places to live. So I guess the question is like, how do we, like, how do we moderate that? Yeah. So I'll break down the three parts of the loop. It's got opportunity, unpredictable rewards, quick repeatability. So we'll use the example of a slot machine. You have an opportunity to win money, right? You got an opportunity to get something of value. Two, you know you'll get that thing of value at some point if you keep repeating the behavior. So it's unpredictable, right? With the slot machine, you play a game, the real spin, you could lose your money, you could win a couple bucks, 
you could win a million dollars, literally. Uh, and then quick repeatability, you can repeat the behavior immediately. So with slot machines, people play, I think it's 16 games a minute on average. Now the reason, so this lab that I mentioned, it's not just funded by the gambling industry. There's a lot of big tech companies on board. And so why is that? <laughs> well, the reason for that is because you can put this loop into many other things and lead humans to repeat behaviors almost unconsciously and rather quickly. So it's what makes social media work. It's being put into a lot of personal finance apps. It explains the rise of sports gambling. It's in dating apps. It's being put into gig work economy apps. And there's really nothing better, like I said, at getting people to just do a habit over and over and over and over. If I had, and Penn knows this about me, if I lived in Vegas like you do, I would be the person at the 7-Eleven ordering a pizza to the slot machine there. <laughs> I definitely, I know this about myself that when I, I, I have an addictive yeah. personality. You would like that Egyptian hieroglyphic game or whatever the one was, right? Right. Like that. Yeah, yeah. I know, but I know this about myself. Therefore there's, I have to put a boundary around it when um, we haven't been to Vegas in a long time, but I cannot like walk up to a table because I'm not a quitter, Michael, and I'm not going to fold. She doesn't. She won't fold. Like, I'm not going to fold. If you play poker with her, she'll never fold. I'm not it's really fold. funny. And so I'm yeah. like, com I'm a competitive perfectionist that will lose everything gambling. But in my life, I think how that's manifesting currently is social media. Yeah. I think I'm addicted to the information that I could get, and especially now watching what's had, you know unfolding in Israel and Gaza. Like I am. I'm addicted to knowing these things and the unpredictability of it. And so reading about that mm -hmm. and trying to like put some boundaries on that was really eye opening to me. Not a question, just telling you my well, personal problems. So, so I have a, yeah. And I'm going <laughs> to like jump in really quickly too and ask you this, and maybe he, you can help answer this. Were you addicted? Are you addicted to the information or are you addicted to the process and me? the, and the delivery? Well, just like the delivery system, right? Yo, I mean, I think, well, I think the way, welcome to our podcast, Michael, we'll let you talk in a second. <laughs> no, he can tell, he can um, answer that as well. Well, no, I just think the every, it, explaining how it's being presented and some of the information's not great. Some of it I'm forwarding to people, right? I'm getting mm -hmm. a little buzz off of like, mm -hmm. oh, this is great. And the, the unpredictable rewards and all of that, I think it, I now can see what's happening. So I'm a little more aware. Am I stepping away? I'm trying to, but okay, now you can talk. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> I, I realized that, first of all, you lied to me because I actually didn't answer your question. Your, your question was, why did we get hooked on it in the first place? So this system evolved to help our ancestors find food and survive. Okay, so if you think of our ancestors finding food, it's the exact same architecture of a slot machine. Okay, so you have an opportunity to get something of value that en that enhances your life, literally saves your life back then because right. you need food or else you're going to starve. So you got to find it though, right? You can't just, it's not predictably there down at the 7-Eleven mm -hmm. in the form of a pizza or whatever. So you go to point A looking for the food, there's nothing there. You go to point B, there's nothing there. You go to point C, jackpot. You find all this food. It's like ding, ding, ding. Oh my God, we found like this massive berry bush and that is going to save our life. So that is extremely exciting. And then repeatability, you, li you literally repeat that for the rest of your life because you're always having to find food. But this applies to a lot of other things that would have helped us survive shelter, status, 
information, all these different things. And this gets applied in modern life in ways that I would argue aren't always good for us. Mm-hmm. So with your your point about information, yeah, that's totally search, right? You're like, you're wondering something. Mm-hmm. So it's this, I'm going to go looking for this piece of it. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for this. And oh my God, I found it. This is the thing I was looking for. Holy crap. So you forward it and that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then and then you keep searching because you might find the next one. And that will also be exciting. It's just like a slot machine. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable cathartic, exhausting, or even exhilarating. But one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you will gain insights and uncover truths that you can only find in therapy. Get those personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support by signing up for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace is also affordable and in-network with most major insurers. To celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness to get $80 off your first month with code SPACE80 and to show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Holderness with code SPACE80. Here's the terrifying part, right? So Kim and I are going through this book. We read about gambling. We're like, yeah, we both like gambling, but we don't really have like a, we're not. That's, we don't have the opportunity. That's, it's not us. We read about the, we read about the people foraging for food. Yeah, we're, that's not really us. We're good with that. Then it gets to social media. And dude, we've been, we've been in this game for 10 years. <clears throat> We've seen the evolution now. I can see it now. It's like I'm Neo in the Matrix now. You can see the evolution of perfecting the scarcity loop. YouTube starts out, right, with the, they're the first ones, and they figure out uh, this algorithm that keeps people for watching longer. It's all based on what you said. It's like if they're going to rewatch or they're going to click on a new video, that's what does it. Facebook adds the share button. They add like a feed that goes a little quicker. And then TikTok has, I, I believe, has nearly perfected this exact scarcity loop with shorter videos that seamlessly move into the next one. And their algorithm keeps you in that loop, I think, for longer and kind of like the way that, that uh, I can't remember his name, the guy shortened the slot game to give yeah. them more opportunities. But just reading, reading your book, I'm like, oh my gosh, they are, they are yeah. absolutely using exclusively the scarcity loop to get people to stay on social media longer. Oh, totally. And the speed is really important. Yeah. So to your point about um, TikTok being faster, 
when slot machines, uh, the guy who basically kind of put this system into slot machines in 1980, he realized that if you removed the handles from slot machines, that would increase play because the act of having to pull a handle, that takes a little bit of time. And so he got rid of that and he put buttons. Now, button, you can just hit, hit, I mean, it's just like scrolling a screen, right? Mm -hmm. And so you start to see the number of games that people play in an hour, it more than doubles. I, I think I recognized these habits. It was, it was it was interesting to be able to zoom out and realize, you know, things that I even thought were for my benefit. You know, I used to be really obsessed with my Apple Watch and checking steps, but I realized it was too intrusive. So I, I kind of ditched that about a year ago, but then I got an aura ring and I was, I'm like, oh, this is just to check, you know, my sleep and heart rate variability and things like that. And then I became obsessively, like I let that determine how my day was going to go. And yeah. I lost it on vacation and I haven't replaced it yet. And I find, I, I find myself trusting how I feel a little bit more in the morning as opposed to checking an app to see how I feel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think so people naturally gravitate to numbers because it gives us certainty. Mm -hmm. so, so when you wake up in the morning, it's like, how'd you sleep? You're like, well, I think it's pretty good. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I feel I feel I feel pretty good. But you you don't know for sure. Yeah. So the reason that a lot of these systems work is because it gives us a clear. Did you do well or did you not do well? Right. A slot machine game, you know, if you won and you know how much exactly how much you won. Same kind of with an aura ring. It's like you wake up, you check the number. Oh, my sleep was my sleep was a 40. That's terrible. Right. That's terrible. I, I should didn't rest. do a good job. Yeah. Right. My sleep was an 80. Oh, this is great. And I think one of the underlying problems with, I don't think a lot of those technologies have advanced to the point where you can say with any certainty, really, like how good was it? We can make some general, you know, but we can make some general conclusions, but it all goes into a sort of black box algorithm that has a lot of underlying issues. And sometimes I think to your point that people get fixated on that number. And then it in turn drives their behavior for the rest of the day in a way that maybe isn't good in the long run. So for I've kind of I've written about this a bit. And I think that those, I think that things like the aura ring, things like the whoop band, things like the Apple Watch, all the fitness stuff, like you can use it for a while. And I think it can be informative. You know, for example, I had a friend who um noticed that his sleep scores were way different on nights that he would have uh, a drink or two before bed. Totally messing with his sleep. So I was like, oh, okay, that's like reasonable. The nights that I don't drink, I sleep better. So I can use that information moving forward. But the problem becomes is when you just fixate on that and everything, uh, it determines everything. All right. So that's, that's interesting because I was going to ask, we're learning about the scarcity loop. I think that just the knowledge of it is going to help us get out of it. Right. Just knowing about it, just hearing, OK, this is what's happening to me. And your brain wants to protest and get out of that loop. Other than the knowledge, what's the best way to get out of the scarcity loop? Yeah, I think awareness is a good first step. You know, I had a friend put it to me like this when we were talking about something else. He was like, you know, the dessert tastes really delicious until you find that the chef was using monkey brains in it. And then you don't want to eat the dessert as much, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a second is that you can remove or change any of the three parts of the loop so you can change or remove the opportunity so this is why you don't gamble that much yes <laughs> or, or lost uh, your aura ring yeah, or yeah. lost my aura ring yeah 
Yeah, uh, you can change or remove the unpredictable rewards. So a good example for phone use is one of the reasons that phones are so stimulating and rewarding is colors, right? The screen hits us with all different colors and colors drive behavior. So I'll give you an example is that if, we, if we're driving in a car and we see a sign that is red, we go stop, right? Colors drive our behavior. So if you can put your phone in grayscale, which is a thing you can easily do, it reduces phone use by about 40 minutes on average for people. That's based on a study. So for you, it might be, you know, 30, but it also might be 120. Like mm -hmm. you don't know because um, it takes away the rewards. And then three, you can slow down the repeatability. So an example for shopping, shopping is something, especially online is something that people get really <laughs> hooked on because it is like, got to search for this item that's going to improve my life. Oh, I found it, buy it. And then you're on there the next day buying more crap you don't need. You can make a rule for yourself that's, you know what? I'm only going to buy things in person. And if this thing is only available online, I'm going to put a holding period on, on it, right? I'm not just going to buy it immediately. I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to wait three days or seven days or whatever it is. Keep it in the cart. And then you have that pause. You can return and go, yeah, wh why was I going to buy that? I don't even remember. Right? <laughs> so talking about just that disease of more. There was a quote in here, and I had to write it down. You interviewed Stephanie Preston. She's a psychologist from the University of Michigan, and she explained that both overaccumulation and minimalism are, quote, often driven by a kind of perfectionism where you want to do everything just right. I know, you, Penn's, I know Penn's tapping me. There's a sort of anxiety, but it's different for the over, from the overaccumulators. Overaccumulators have anxiety that they're going to make a mistake and need something, so they collect and collect. But minimalists have a kind of anxiety around disorder and having so much they can't escape. He's tapping me because I my favorite thing to do is throw things away. Yeah. But then yep. I will buy stuff and place it so i'm sort of both and my question was wtf is wrong with me that is i see that written on the page it yeah. says wtf is wrong with me so because I, I i hit i was like oh my gosh i am the perfectionist that like i'm overwhelmed by clutter and it's too much and i won't be able to get out of here fast i have go bags by you got a way. quick turnover rate yeah i have a quick turnover mm, but yep. then as soon as an area is clear i'll find something i'm like oh this makes me happy and i'll bring it in so i'm both now michael easter tell me what's wrong with me <laughs> everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's what I'll say is that what I'm hearing from you two is that this was maybe informative in your relationship. And the exact same thing happened with me and my wife. Okay. So I'm more, I mean, the, the camera is centered in such a way that you can't see all the things in my office, like the, the sort of clutter, the notes, the studies, the whatever. My wife is totally different. Like she needs things in the perfect place, totally organized. And I couldn't get this for the longest time, right? But it turns out that like, for me, in order to do my job, I kind of need like stuff around because I'm just sort of frantic thinking ideas or whatever. But for her, she needs everything organized. And I'm like, why are you like this? Well, it turns out that it just like she doesn't feel normal unless things are in a perfect spot. And so I think bringing it back to the sort of the ideas of uh, minimalism and overaccumulating is that. We often try and solve maybe some underlying issue by getting everything in its perfect spot. But if it is the cycle where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to minimize. And then, you know, after six months, you've bought a bunch of stuff. And then it's like, oh, I got to minimize now. It becomes a cycle where you're just kind of endlessly spending money and caught in a loop. And so this, I think this lady's message, Stephanie Preston, was you got to find out, like, why do you need that in the first place? 
And is there another way that you can solve that that won't lead you to continue buying and purging over time? <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up your wife. Okay, so you have in the, these books, it, part of your personal discovery is just doing crazy stuff. Like you went into this area of Alaska that was like incredibly cold and barren and there's bears and you don't have any food for a month, right? That was your Masogi, which we can talk about later. And then in Scarcity Brain, you hung out for a week in Baghdad with a special forces, like drug bust, weapons Wherever bust <laughs> unit. Yeah. So like how I'm trying to think about how I would bring that up to my wife. Like, here's what I'm going to do. And I feel like it would start with something like, hey, <laughs> and then I don't know what I would do after that. Like, I want to Could you please take me through the conversation? And she's welcome to come in and, and join on this answer if, if you'd like to invite her. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about her is that she's, she kind of realizes this is part of the job I have to do, that it's kind of part of the deal. I think she also trusts me to do a lot of homework. So for example, before I go to Baghdad, I went and met with the guy in Mexico. Yeah. Mike, yeah, Mike yeah. Moreno. And he was in the CIA in Baghdad for I think eight or nine years during like the hot point of the war. And so he kind of taught me everything I needed to know. Of course, things happen. Right. But, you know, I'm doing my homework. It's it's part of the job. So she's I don't know. She doesn't she doesn't say much to me, maybe internally. She's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, she bring her in. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. So she's way more chill than I am, is what I've learned. From <laughs> well, the other the other thing is that I think is important is that we don't have kids. So if I had kids, would I be going to Baghdad? Would I be spending 30 whatever days in the Arctic? Probably, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, maybe not 30 days in the Arctic. It would be like, okay, we got to do like a week or two, right? Mm -hmm. Or Dick light. Yeah. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not Baghdad. Maybe, it, maybe it's somewhere else. I don't know. Okay. That's a, that's a good answer. Back to the book. Pen, okay. We can get into your personal life in a second, but I, okay. Do you see, I mean, the over accumulation, that's just like the, the desire for more. I, I mean, I fall into it too. I mean, I finished reading a few chapters last night and then was online shopping for it got slightly cool here and then i was buying a new coat and i was like whoa okay whoa i don't you're I have, aware that's i great. have i have like a, a thousand i have way more i have an embarrassing amount of warm weather gear for where we live so I, w I became aware of it is this is this a uniquely american problem just like this overconsumption of stuff and things or is this everyone no i think i think it's everywhere for sure. Uh, I mean, some cultures are, I think, even more buy more stuff than even we do. Really? Uh, I think that probably what has constrained it over time is just simply resources. And you're starting to see that things are becoming cheaper across the board. And as the world develops, they have more disposable income. So I think you're just going to see consumption sort of rise over time. I sort of daydream. We have neighbors who moved to Costa Rica with their three kids for a year and they came back. They The parents wanted to stay. The kids, obviously, they're young kids. They wanted to come back. And they, looked, first of all, came back so relaxed. And they mm -hmm. said it was pretty overwhelming to come. Their first trip to Trader Joe's was so overwhelming. They had to walk out because it was there were so many options. And when they were in Costa Rica, you just go to this market and it's like, it is what it is. Like what is there is there. So they talked about, they're just so much more aware of all of the stuff that we're faced with, mm -hmm. you know, options are good. Right. But uh, to a point it can be anxiety producing. Don't you think? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is why I love Costco because they only give you like two choices for the things you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you can have this rice or that rice and it's all just in bulk. It, it cuts down on the decision-making fatigue. I do think though that you see, and maybe this gets to your question better, that when people have have other things going on in their life, they're less likely to shop and kind of fill it with shopping. So I'll, I'll give you an example is that I talked to this psychologist whose name's Thomas Antal, and he's been doing work with pigeons where he can basically get a pigeon to turn into a degenerate gambler, like very fast. <laughs> this is crazy. And these pigeons, they kind of live in these small, like cages that are a little bit cooped up and, um, He'll then occasionally put them in this big cage where they have to do like all these things that pigeons would normally have to do to survive in the wild. So they got to like build their nest. They're socializing with other pigeons. They're like working hard. They're doing all these things that pigeons evolved to do. And then when he puts them back in uh, the situation where they can choose a gambling game or a game that gets them a predictable amount of food, they tend to choose the um, optimal game where they get a predictable amount of food. And so his point then was... You know, and I don't think we're that different when you live in a really developed country. We're not that different than the pigeons, whereas we live lives that are way different than we evolved to live, right? In the past, it's like we would have been searching for food all day. We would have been having to struggle a little bit more. We would have spent a lot more time outside. Like there's just all these different things we would have done. And that seems to provide us a lot of stimulation. And so when we don't get that level of stimulation, I think we go looking for it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Buy stuff, you gamble, we maybe drink more, we maybe, you know, go down crazy information rabbit holes. And it's just sort of a mismatch between how humans evolved over two and a half million years to live and the environments we live in now. So it seems like for you, the, the thing that hits you the most personally was the stuff me? Yeah. Either that or the social media. I, I think, well, also you wrote about how there was a study of this. I had to like back up and read that. I'm going to get this wrong, but you, there was a study about people who were participants in the Boston Marathon at the time of the bombing and then people who just binged watch information about it. And that hit me this week because I've been having a tough time sleeping, just watching all the images oh, yeah. come out of Gaza. And the people that just binged watch the information about it had more PTSD. I'm getting this wrong. They suffered higher more. rates of PTSD. You got it right. Yeah. yeah. They had higher rates of PTSD compared to the people who were actually in the bombing, which yeah. is wild. I think that, so here's the deal is that the world as a whole has been getting better over time. I mean, you look at, I mean, even just since 1990, we have more, there's just so many things have improved, right? But the news is always going to run the same amount of negative information, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that captivates our information or captivates our attention rather. That's kind of what we want to consume. But I don't think that that's always an accurate reflection of how the world is doing as a whole historically. And I do think that it affects us. It really just throws us into that loop. So the answer for me is, you know, it's, it's this tension between I want to be aware of things that are happening in the world. At the same time, we also have to keep in the back of our mind that things as a whole have greatly improved over time. And two, that the new system can lead us to not necessarily realize that. 
So it's kind of this strange tension we have to deal with. And you want to pay attention because I want to be able to, you know, be a, an ally. I want to be able to have the information to enter those conversations for people who can't. I want to, and I, I don't want to kind of turn away from that. But then if I don't protect myself, I'll burn out and have, like, the, I haven't slept in a week. I mean, that's not helping anybody. So I just need to find a balance, like you said, of realizing that they are, I mean, for even I mean, the news right now is sort of gamifying my attention when it comes down yeah. to it. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that there's probably some sources out there that um, can maybe help you not like fall into the loop of the searching, whether it's certain newsletters that just kind of round things up. I mean, that's going to give you the information so you're conscious of it and can make decisions about, okay, what am I going to do about this? Mm -hmm. But not thrust you in the loop of watching crazy videos online, getting every gory detail, getting, you know, yeah. So there's a there was an interesting piece in the New York Times. I think it was maybe maybe like five years ago. So it's slightly dated, but one of their reporters who was, you know, this sort of Twitter addict, more or less, he decided that he was only going to get his information from print media for a while, mm. for a month. And at the end of that, he didn't feel like he was any less informed, but he felt like he was way more present in his day-to-day -day life. Mm. He felt like he also had better information because it had it, there's more vetting behind yeah. the print product. And he just felt like psychologically better. Like yeah. his life wasn't moving as fast and he wasn't as frantic and wasn't a, there wasn't many spikes in his, you know, day-to-day -day situation. If we can find some print media, that sounds like a great idea. I don't know where to find it anymore, but it's, <laughs> well, it's, and the it's problem is I subscribe <clears throat> to New York times online. Yeah. So then oh, I, look at that. Look at Here's that. where I get my, it's, it's an expensive subscription, but I do the economist. You get it every week. Okay. R runs down the entire world. And so when I eat breakfast, I will read that because the other thing is that you get a lot of stuff in here, other things happening around the world that I think are important, but it's not, I mean, they have my attention. There's no incentive to run the crazy, gory video, the crazy, gory headline, because when, when you look at how information is presented online, it's in competition with other information presented online. Yeah. You're having to frame it in a way that captures attention with a print product they already have your attention. Yeah. So there's no Captain need audience. to run the headline that's like, you know, X year old child dies in whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like just the crazy stuff that's going to grab us. Yeah. Okay. So it seems to me like, yeah, like that stuff, that that stopped you in your tracks. I feel like sometimes you're reading a book and you, you heard about the Boston bombing and basically every, you sh just kind of shush everything out and like, this is like, I want to stop and think about this. Right. That happened to me pretty early on in your book, as in, like, I'm an ADHD person. I'm an advocate for ADHD. We just finished a book on ADHD. And you started talking about dopamine as, as first of all, a misunderstood chemical in your brain, but also something that affects decision-making, regulates, you know, a lot of the parts of your body. But scientifically, people who have ADHD, we've, at least we've known this for a while, appear to have a deficiency of dopamine. We don't have enough of it, so we hunt for it more. And for that reason, we're more prone to addiction, right? We're more prone to a lot of, a lot of bad things, divorce, suicide, all of those things. What advice would you have to the ADHD community in dealing with scarcity brain? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. You know, that's one that's probably better for a clinician, someone who's really a research the topic and works in it. But I will say that kind of the underlying themes of a lot of my book is that we live in a world now where we have just so many things hitting us with opportunity to feel something, right? And it's often uncomfortable to have to sit with, just kind of sit with yourself Mm -hmm. and go through hard things. But that often is the answer that brings you better long-term results. Uh, I have a couple members of my family who also have ADHD. And for them, it, it, it has been, you know, they have suffered from addiction. They've had other problems. I think they've, you know, had to realize that this is this thing I have. It's not always going to be easy, but if I'm trying to, you know, take the sort of the comfortable, very easy way out of it, escape it, that has led to long-term problems from them for them. That's a pretty good answer. Like, I don't think I need to ask a clinician that no sit in the suck. That's what you're saying. And that like, that's advice that's been given to me before as well. So well done, sir. Okay. So you, the comfort crisis, amazing. Scarcity brain, amazing. You've written these things. Do you still day-to-day live by the things you've learned? Like, I try. You I try. do feel like that. Yeah. Your life um, is remarkable. It's, it's like profoundly changed from all this research? Oh, it's definitely profoundly changed. But I will say that it, it fluctuates based on how close to the experiences I am. So, you know, for example, when I got back from a month in the Arctic, it's like the first time running water hit my hands. It was like, oh my God, <laughs> you just realize how amazing modern life is, mm-hmm. right? You have a really deep appreciation for all of this stuff that you literally never thought of. You mm-hmm. just kind of took it for granted. And it's just like, holy hell, you're walking around <laughs> wide-eyed about the about the dumbest stuff. Like the fact that there's a pantry full of food, the fact that uh, hot running water just appears out of the out of the faucet um obviously that slows down over time right it's not like three years later every time i wash my hands with hot water i'm breaking out in a crazy grin and so i think for me the answer is to i mean i still have that in the back of my mind like yeah this is amazing like things are things are pretty good right now in the grand scheme of time and space but i do think that experience is the best teacher for humans and i think we often have to do things that are, you know, out of our comfort zone to realize, I guess, how good we have it and the things that are good in our life. Now, I am not saying that the world is perfect by any means, but I am saying that, like, if you had to choose a time to be alive, now's, now, yes. now's not bad. when you would choose. Right? Like, at least for the next hundred years before we burn the planet down. But like, yeah. that's so I like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't wait to see what you do next to discover stuff. I have a guess of what you're doing next. Ooh. I'm sure it's wrong. But like, so oh, you've fair. done this here. I think you're going to space next. I feel like that would be the next. You should go to space <laughs> next because there's a lot of you're going to. I heard you talking to the, the guy from the space station. I've actually done this before as well with a guy. And and, awesome. and, and here. Yeah. yeah. So it was the same thing. He, he, he called me up and we, we chatted. He'd read a book. But like when you saw the Lake Erie and, and, and how clear it was like through a camera, I think like you would be able to write a really good book if you went to space. Oh, and it sounds really cheap. And reasonable. Uh, yeah, very inexpensive, right? I'll Are you going to space it. next? Come on. Maybe you can't tell me, but I bet you're going to space next. 
I'd never thought of that. Yes. Now that you've planted the Go seed. to space. <laughs> I have a deep, so things I would never do is, I'll tell you, so you got, you're getting like obsessed with the news around the situation in Gaza. I've got, I got so obsessed with that Titanic submersible sub. Oh yeah. Holy yeah. hell. Yeah. Like right when it, I'm like, these people are in a, and a, a tin can. Like, you, I would never want you to go don't, that Michael, way. Don't I, go down. Go oh, up. Go up. Yeah. I I just met you, but we adore you. Please do not go down. You're, are you going to go down to the depths? No, of I'm the not. Ocean? I'm not. Thank like you. water is something that I, I I need to explore. Why I'm just like I don't really need to get in the sub. I don't really need to go surfing. I don't really oh. need to. There's something. Well, about you're a land that. mammal. That's like my. I'm a, yeah, I live in I live, live in the in Mojave Desert, desert for yeah. a reason. <laughs> no, I'm a water person. I I love to like surf, be in the water, paddleboard, the whole thing. But I don't need to like be like really far under it without a way to like breathe independently. They, they, they like got crushed into a tiny. Oh, little I don't ball, even talk right? about Didn't it. Didn't they? I yeah, I, I want to talk okay, about sorry. it. Sorry. No, it's it's it's, it's bad. Yeah, it's, okay. it's the I think the, the being in a small space that is literally inescapable is no. one that I'm just like. Oh, oh okay, so God, maybe not space. Yeah. Maybe not. Well, we'll see. Well, this is my, this is my issue with like the accumulation of stuff. I have to think there's this, there's this TikTok. There was like, it turns out a lot of men obsessively think about the Roman empire. You know, a lot of wives were asking their, their partners, how how often do you think of the Roman empire? And a lot of men admitted to thinking about it like at least weekly. This is the dumbest. And it was so, and I, well, I had, so now the new trend is like, what's your, what's your Roman empire? Like women talked about like their Roman empire. Mine, I think really obsessively about having, and I don't know why I have had a very privileged life about having to like run with my family. Like we need to go. And I, it is so weird that I need to like, that this is why, that is what I think about fast. So I think (laughs) being in space or underwater, I couldn't go quickly. So that's mm. my, that's my, she show. bought four go, go bags. bags. They're in our, yeah. If I need to go, I, I got, I have this food. It's not good food, but I have like water. So why don't we like backpacking food? Yeah. Backpacking we should just food. go camping with our go Abs- bag. Mm-hmm. See, well, okay. Yeah. But anyway, this conversation is coming to a natural end. <laughs> no, well, I will say that the comfort we'll, we'll wrap up with the comfort crisis. I loved the Misogi and how that challenge we did. I think we've edited it in that we, my version of it is like, let's do something like really hard and uncomfortable physically. This year we tried to do, we tried to learn kite surfing. Oh, um, we, cool. we experienced some, you know. With some success and some failure. It, 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 I know that you said it needed to have a 50-50 chance of success. And I still don't know if we succeeded or not with that yeah. one. So the problem with that, Masogi, is we didn't put a real parameter on what success looked like. I mean, we got up. Yeah. But we can't do it by ourselves. Yeah. For a um, long time. It's really hard. No, but I think my issue with the Misogi is that you're not really supposed to talk about it. So I need ideas. I, I think I'm a creative person, but I still need ideas on I what wanna, to do. I want to do the rock thing that Kyle Corver or whoever did, like yeah. the underwater so, rock one. Anyway. I have a I have a solution for you. So I got this question a lot. It's like, well, what should I do? Right. And my answer was always, well, part of the point is that you got to be introspective. Yeah. And I realized I could only say that so much. And yeah. so I need to like actually help people find ideas. And so I have this newsletter called 2%. And mm-hmm. so I basically just sent out an email to everyone who's on the list and was like, Hey, if you've done a Masogi, send in your name, your age and what you did. And so I have this big running list of all these things that people have done with the idea being like, we send it out and it's like, 
here's all these things that people have done. Maybe this will give you an idea. So I can send you guys that. Okay. What is I the funniest I, I one? A, I subscribe oh, to your newsletter, yeah. by the way. Okay. I, I want to subscribe now. What's the funniest one you've gotten where you were like, holy, holy crap. And you, and you laughed a little bit. It could be ridiculous or funny. Oh, that's a good question. The funniest one. I don't know. I will tell you the coolest one I've gotten was from, I just got this random email one day and it's, it's like a person, Janet, I can't remember her last name. And the subject is Masogi. And the entire email just said, hello, Michael, my name is Janet. I am 79 years old. I'm going to do a Masogi. It will be hard. I won't die. Thank you, Janet. Oh, Janet. <laughs> so I was like, hell yeah, Janet. Did, Janet is very, very cool. I want to be friends with Janet. Did we ever hear back from Janet to confirm she did not die? No, we did not. Oh, but no. I, I think I, I think I probably would have heard something if things yeah. gone wrong. Yeah, if things. If she was like carrying a rock yeah. underneath the ocean. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I think I think the point is it doesn't. I mean, it really is. You you got to meet yourself where you're at. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. my my uh, mom did one and it was you know walking hiking six miles instead of the three she does every day but i think the important part is that that showed her that she was more physically capable than she thought and because of that she ended up booking a trip that she had wanted to take but didn't think that she could do because it had a lot of walking so that's kind of what we're after there go mom okay we were we're going to be linking to your books and our show notes and our blog and all that stuff but where else can people find you and find information about what you're doing uh, Eastermichael.com is my website and the newsletter goes out a few times a week and it's at TWOPCT.com. So it's called 2%. 2%. It was really cool getting to know you, man. Like, especially after reading the books and, and thank you for, for helping us go outside our comfort zone. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 